Scripture reading this morning is Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, and they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Well, good morning. You know when you're a student teacher and then the teacher's watching you, right? (laughs) my thought is and there's a good reason for it if there was a sign out that said summer in the psalms i would have put a p in front of summer pus summer in the pus psalms (laughs) which is why you don't ask me those kinds of questions but we are in psalm 38 today and the psalmist david he is writing from a stance of pain and anguish, but it's also one he wrote as a psalm of remembrance, so he doesn't forget the Lord that brings suffering. So we're going to keep that in mind as we work our way through. So verse 1, we have the petition, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, discipline me in your wrath. David understands the character here of God. God is holy, he's just, he must judge sin, but yet at the same time, He is merciful, He's kind, He's loving. So He gives this petition not like the rest of the world says, you know, oh God, don't don't judge us for our bad deeds. Don't punish us. We don't want punishment. He says, no, rather, as a believer in God, I say, have mercy on me, Lord. I am a sinner. And we know that's David's attitude. If you go to 2 Samuel, you will see his response when he's confronted with the sin with Bathsheba He accepts his judgment. When Shimei throws stones at him, he accepts it almost as divine judgment upon him. David has an awareness 
of God's judgment on his sin. And he accepts the responsibility of his own actions. So he can plead with God not to take it all the way, but he's asking for one that he can bear. And then we see in 2 through 4, the Lord is active in this world. David says, Your arrows have pierced me. Your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. We learn a lot about God in our suffering. It shows us in this little bit that the Lord is still active in this world. You know, in this case, it's David that feels the weight of God's judgment on him for his sin. But it's, it's an action of God. He is active. We don't subscribe to the idea that, you know, God made the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and then he just said, oh, let it work itself out. That's not, what he, that's not what we read. It doesn't also teach that God gives us just good things. Health, wealth, prosperity, big house, big family, big car. Not those things either, as some have taught. What the Scripture teaches is this. This active God, He has remained active in this universe that He created. And He brings good to us, as well as suffering and pain, to help us realign our focus right on Him. See how David writes, Your arrows have pierced me. Your hand has come down on me. Doesn't this show when the Lord brings suffering, we can feel the intensity of His judgment on us? Here's what one commentator says about these verses. It's a little older, but I I like how he words it. David ascribes to God the praise of righteousness, without which the acknowledgement which he formerly made would be of little avail. Nay, instead of this, such an acknowledgement sometimes rather exasperates the minds of men, so that they provoke the wrath of God still more, by charging him with cruelty and pouring forth horrible blasphemies against him. Nothing, therefore, can be more preposterous than to imagine that there is in God a power so supreme and absolute as to deprive him of his righteousness. David, as soon as he recognized his affliction as coming from God, he turns to his own sin as the cause of this divine displeasure. For he had already been fully satisfied in his own mind that he is not like a tyrant who exercises cruelty needlessly and at random, but a righteous judge who never manifests his displeasure by inflicting judgments, but when he is grievously offended. If then we would render to God the praise which is due him, let us learn by the example of David to connect our sins with his wrath. So what we get in all that is this. When the judgment comes from God and the chastisement on his people, we accept it without cursing God and saying, oh, why me, Lord, why me? Why have you done this to me? Why have you put me in this situation? Rather, we should find ourselves sitting down humbly and we think about who God is. Just and merciful. Or as the, the beaver says in C.S. Lewis's classic Narnia series, of course he ain't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We must see who God is. And then we know who we are, and we go as the king takes us. So as servants of the great king of the universe, what else can we do? Anything else is just foolish. And then we get in five, David's admission of his guilt. My wounds fester 
and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed low, bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. David attributes judgment of his own sin to God here. And how, how true is this? Most of the times we do stuff like this. We, we tend to blame other people. Come to the shirk house for one week and hang out with the shirk kids and you're going to hear this line a lot. Lucas made me do it. Nikki pushed me. Adrian won't get off of me. It's like this pointing finger game everywhere they go. I had no choice but to do this. It's not my fault. Sometimes I even say stuff like this. That's where we find ourselves just like Adam in the garden. He eats the fruit. And what does he do instead of saying, yes, Lord, I ate the fruit? He says, ah, the woman you gave me. That's where sin gets ugly. And God will judge. And for our sin, it brings a sadness that we find ourselves doing the things we don't want to do while knowing what we should do, and we don't do it. But David here is not like this. He admits right up, I have sinned and brought infliction on myself. Let this be another point to take home today. We must admit our sins as we have committed them and not look for someone else to blame. We'll just humbly look at ourselves. This is part of growing up as a Christian. That we want to mature, and part of maturing is acknowledging, I made a mistake. I had a shortcoming, and I have offended the king of the universe. That we would plead with the king, Lord, I have sinned against you and deserve your judgment. Forgive me for my wickedness. Show me mercy, I beg you. So as we grow in our faith, we also have the Spirit that will lead us in this direction to repent of our sins, turn back to Christ, and give the glory back to God the Father. See, this is the best part of it. What David is looking for, we have seen already. God had it set that He would send His Son to take care of that. Jesus comes and takes that ultimate judgment of God for our sins upon Himself on the cross dies, and three days later he rises again and gives new life to all those who place their faith in him. What a great promise that is. Let us cling to the cross to see the God who saves sinners. Now on the other hand, we have to accept this fact as well. Not every ailment you have, not every tribulation or trial you have is a divine judgment based on your sin. Think of Job. The whole book shows Job did nothing. He was innocent. And yet, his friends said, Job, you sinned. What sin did you do? You must repent of this. How wrong they were in their analysis. Or how about in John chapter 9, you know, the man born blind. The disciples go to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? And that's the reason he's born blind. And Jesus' answer is another point to take home with us today. He says this, It is not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus continues on, but the point is that. We must not say everything bad that happens to us is due to some unknown sin that needs taken care of either. Sometimes it may be, sometimes it may be not. We are to look and sympathize with people in their suffering, to bear one another burdens like Paul teaches us. We're left to wonder at this God 
and how great He is that whatever He's doing will bring Him ultimate glory. Not to us, but to Himself. So that keep that point in mind as well this week. We can't just assume that the person's sin is the reason for their problems. It could be. We're just not sure. A little quick stop as we go through this Psalm 38. If, I, if we were on like a bus tour and I was your guy with the mic, we would see in verse 9 it mentions this phrase, not hidden from you. You know, if I was the tour, I would, tour guide, I would say, out this window, see the omniscience of God. It's a quick pass, but it's a key point. It doesn't help. We don't understand what it means to know everything. We have know-it-alls, guys who think they know everything, but they don't even come close to this, to be all-knowing. What can hide from God? What can be hidden from Him? Nothing. No thing can be hidden from God. That's what it means to be all-knowing. So He knows everything. So when we find ourselves in this tough spot, or we have pain or suffering, take comfort in this. The Lord is near. He knows. He sees. He hears. It's not hidden from Him. So go to the Father. Seek the Son. Rest in the Spirit. That's where our peace lies. Our bodies are going to fail. Our flesh will fade. But the Spirit endures on forever. And one day we will get the new body in heaven. So we continue on. David speaks on his friends and his enemies. Starting to not see the difference here. They all stay away from him. Verse 11, the friends are staying away. It makes us kind of think of Job and his friends where they, they don't really know what to do with them. They, they kind of leave him off a little bit and then they give him a bad judgment. Another key, a good friend is so valuable. More precious than gold. Let us aim to be friends of those that are suffering. Even if you don't understand the person's pain or what they're going through, you just say, hey, I'm praying for you. And then we go visit and check in. And then verse 12, we get the opposite. His enemies enjoy David's suffering and they want to speed up the process to destroy him. And then 13, 14, you see the helplessness of David. My enemies are against me. They want my destruction. I'm helpless. He can't just pull himself up by his bootstraps and move on. He says, I'm like a deaf man who cannot make himself to hear or a mute man who cannot speak. He's helpless. He needs someone from the outside to come in and help. And that's the Lord. The one thing I love about Psalms is we always start with this like negativeness where it's always looking inward at my problem, my sin, mine. And then it takes this twist and it starts to come up where we look away from me and we start looking at God. And we get it right here. Here's your twist. David says in 15, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. Now we're getting to some good thinking. Knowing God, knowing who we are, that helps everything. We are sinners. He is holy, perfect, pure, loving, merciful, all-knowing, all-seeing. It helps us focus our attitude on Him. It doesn't change the situation. We may still be in pain and suffering. But we are focused on Him now and it will change our reaction to our event. 
And David kind of goes back to the enemy here, but it's a different perspective. He knows they want him to fail, and they, he knows they hate him. And they want him, they want evil to fall on him because he follows after good. And that line made me think, huh, I wonder, does that happen to you guys or me? That statement where he says, those who repay my evil, my good with evil, lodge accusations against me, though I seek only to do what is good. Does that happen here? We aim to do what's good, and yet we see that in this world, that the antichrists of our age are aiming their targets on us who actually are brave enough to call evil, evil. I feel it. When I say something that I give a judgment that this is wrong, I'm hit with that, oh, you, you are so judgmental, I can't believe you would think that way. But that's the price to pay as a Christian. We speak the truth in Christ. We go where we are led in the Scriptures. Your reward's not on this earth, neither is mine. So we don't have to play the game. We start the psalm with a plea. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me. Don't discipline me in your wrath. We end with a plea. He says, do not forsake me, O Lord my God. Be not far from me. This is the cry of our hearts as well. Lord, don't forsake me. Don't leave me. Stay with me. If you feel that way, hear the comforting words that start in Deuteronomy are repeated in Hebrews. It says this, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. The Lord says it. It's settled. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. So then we can continue just like the author of Hebrews states in the next verse. He says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We can walk in that confidence that we are not alone. So let us trust these words and go spread the gospel to all those that need to know it. Will you pray with me? Oh, our Father, the maker of heaven and earth, you have blessed us beyond measure and given us the greatest gift in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to learn from this psalm that you are our strength, that you are our help in danger, that you know all things and are with us. Give us comfort by your Spirit. Awaken our hearts and minds to follow you and share your love with what you've done for us in Christ to all we come in contact with. Guide us, we pray, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.